You're listening to the Good News in a Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. Last week we began our series on favorite Bible stories by looking at the account of creation in Genesis chapter 1. And today we are going to look at the story of Noah's Ark. And before we read Genesis 7, um, let me set the context for us, just a reminder of what's going on here in Genesis 7. Uh, Genesis 6 tells us that this was a time when there was great evil upon the earth. It was a tremendously wicked time. And because of this continual uh, perverse wickedness, God determined that he would bring judgment upon this world. And children, you remember that, that God determined he would bring judgment upon this world through a flood. And, and you remember what happens at that point. God tells Noah to build an ark, a really big ark, 500 feet long, 85 feet wide, 50 feet high with, with three decks. And, and through this ark, Noah and his family would be saved from the flood. In addition, you remember God tells Noah to, to bring a pair of every kind of animal onto the ark, as well as enough food for his family and for all of the animals. And, and notice, if you have your Bible open, notice how chapter 6 ends in verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And that brings us now to chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household. For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground." And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. 
And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. On December 26, 2004, a devastating earthquake that was 9.1 on the Richter scale struck the west coast of Indonesia. Many of you remember when this happened. The result of that earthquake was a tsunami that brought great, massive destruction. Listen to some of the numbers from that tsunami. The waves reached up to 100 feet in height. Children, to compare that, the, the top of the steeple is about 45 feet high. 100 foot high waves. The waves traveled as fast as 500 miles an hour, which is the speed of a, a 747 airplane. Tsunami hit 14 different countries. It killed an estimated 230,000 people. It was one of the deadliest natural disasters in recorded history. That pales in comparison to what happened here in Genesis 7. On that day, no one survived. Now, we've heard this story from the time we were little, if we grew up in the church. We're very familiar with it. We've seen the flannel graphs of Noah and the ark, and we've seen cartoon images. We've, we've seen it, we've heard it, we've read it. But you have to let, in a sense, the, the devastation hit you. On that day, no one survived. Except for Noah and his family and, and the animals that were with them on the ark, all of the birds, all of the livestock, all of the beasts, and all human beings died. Now, my purpose this morning is, is not to examine the historicity of the flood. My, my purpose is, is not to ask the question, did the flood really happen? Was it, was it really a, a worldwide flood or was it a local flood? We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Just like last week in connection with creation, and evolution. There, there are good resources out there if you want to study the, the historicity of this event. But, but here's my take, very brief take on the historicity of the flood. God tells us it happened. And so it happened. God doesn't lie. God tells us that this really happened and it really did happen. My, my purpose with you this morning is, is to work our way through this passage and, and to ultimately ask the question, what is this meant to teach us? What is an event that happened thousands of years ago, what does it mean for us living today in the 21st century? I, I want to look at this passage in, in three parts. First of all, there is God's command, and then there is Noah's response, and then there is God's judgment. God's command, Noah's response, and God's judgment. At this point, Noah has done what the Lord told him to do. He, he built the ark. He, he gathered the animals. It's about a week before the floodwaters will now come upon the earth. 
And as we come to chapter 7, God gives the command in verse 1. Notice what he says. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household. Now, if you are a Bible underliner, underline that word go. Literally, it could be translated come. In fact, that's how some Bible translations translate it. Come, come into the ark. I think that's a better translation. And, and children, if, if someone were to tell you, come, they're, they're usually asking you to come where they are, right? If, if someone says to you and, and motions with their arm, come over here, they, they want you to come where they are. I raise this because is it possible that, that in using this word, in, in God saying to Noah, literally, come into the ark, is it possible that God is reminding Noah of his presence? Is it possible that, that God is saying to Noah, Noah, I will be with you. Come into the ark. You know, Noah had, had no idea. And his family, they had no idea what they were about to experience. Scholars are somewhat divided over whether or not Noah had seen rain at this point. But, but there's no doubt that, that Noah had no idea what a flood was. And yet God is saying, I will be with you. That's a great thing for you to remember. It's a great thing for me to remember. God is always with us. Christian, you, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what next month will bring. You don't know what next year will bring. You don't know what lies in the future. But you do know, you can know, that God is always with you. And so just in this little command, come, we, we see, don't we, the, the comfort that this would be for Noah. We can see Noah and his family saying, you know, we, we don't know what this is going to be like. We don't know what's going to happen. But we do know that the Lord is with us. By the way, this, this command, come, is also a reminder to us that God's commandments are good. God does not intend to harm us in his commands. You know, sadly, there are, there are people who view God's commands that way. God is a, a cosmic killjoy. God intends to rain on my parade. God doesn't want me to have any fun. And so he gives me these commands. But brothers and sisters, God's commands are for our good. They are for our benefit. They are for our safety, our protection. And it is in obeying his commands that we find our greatest joy, our greatest happiness, is when we follow God's good commands. Now there's another command here at the beginning of chapter 7. Notice verse 2. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. Uh, the question is, is often asked, you know, how could, how could Noah possibly have fit all these animals on the ark? You, you've heard skeptics say that before, right? They, they say there's no way the flood is a true story because there's no way Noah could have put all of those animals on the ark. 
Well, I want you to think about a couple of things. First of all, the Bible doesn't say that, that Noah took fully grown adult animals onto the ark. In addition, Noah probably didn't bring marine animals on the ark. And, and second, remember, remember the dimensions that I gave you earlier about the ark. Children, the, the ark was massive. The ark was, was huge. It was 500 feet long. It was 85 feet wide. It was 50 feet high. That means that the ark had approximately 2 million cubic feet of cargo space. That's big. In fact, experts say there was so much cargo space on the ark that you could fit 450 semi-trailers into the hull of the ark. That's a lot of space. And so God gives the command. Noah, come into the ark. You your family, the animals, and in seven days, I'm going to send rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, the second part of this passage is Noah's response. Children, you know that, that Noah was a faithful follower of God. Noah was a godly man. Verse 1 tells us that he was a righteous man. Now, that doesn't mean that, that he had himself earned righteousness before God. It doesn't mean that, that he had earned God's favor through his own performance. But it means that, that Noah trusted God for his salvation, just like you and I are called to trust God for our salvation. Noah knew that God was his righteousness. And, and Noah was a faithful follower of God. And, and notice what a faithful follower of God looks like. Verse 5 tells us, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Now we know that Noah was a sinner. We know that Noah was not a perfect man. By God's grace, Noah had, had recognized his sin. He was trusting that only God could save him. He was trusting God for the righteousness that he needed to stand before God. But, but notice, Noah doesn't say, well, you know, now that I'm good with God, I can do whatever I want. I can live my life my way. God and I are good, and so I can do whatever I please. Notice that Noah's response to God's unmerited favor was a life of obedience. His, his faith, his trust in God led Noah to act. It led Noah to obey. This is what Hebrews 11 tells us about Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. This is the consistent theme of Scripture. True faith leads to fruit. True faith leads to obedience. Many of you are familiar with James chapter 2, verse 14, where James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The point is that true faith, Living faith will produce fruit. 
Noah showed the reality of his justification by his obedience to God's command. He did what God told him to do. We also are the people of God. We are also his covenant children. And, and that should be our desire as well. I mean, think about, think about what God has done for you. Children, think about this. God loves us with an everlasting love. And it's a love that he, he set on us before the foundation of the world. In fact, the theologian Gerhardus Voss is famous for having said, the, the way that we know God's love will never end is that it never began. God set his love on you in eternity past. God in Jesus Christ has forgiven you all of your sins. God has clothed you with the perfect spotless righteousness of his son. God has given to you the gift of the Holy Spirit. God has promised you that you're an heir of eternal life. And, and there's so much more that could be said, but you, you think about all these things, they pile up and, and, and we say, what, what spiritual blessings are ours? How richly we have been blessed as God's people. And, and therefore, our desire out of gratitude for the Lord's grace to us should be to do what he tells us to do. Now, we all know that that's not always easy. That will not always be easy. There are times when, when obeying God means going against the crowd, going, children, against what the popular kids may say. There are times when it is difficult I, I can't imagine that Noah was very popular when he was building the ark. I, I can imagine people saying, look at that fool. What is he doing? What a waste of time. There are times when, when obeying God means that we have to give something up. I imagine that Noah had to give something up. If Noah had a house, he had to leave it behind. If Noah had possessions, he had to leave them behind. If Noah had friends, he had to leave them behind. Obedience to, to God's commands is not always easy. But it's always worth it. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Children, obedience is not always easy, but it is always worth it. Noah shows the reality of his faith by obeying God and following God's commands. And now we come to God's judgment. Noah and his wife and his three sons, his three daughters-in-law, all the animals, they go into the ark. And I want you to notice what it says at the end of verse 16. And the Lord shut him in. God shut the door. God shut the door. God secured the ark so that Noah and his family would be safe. And after, after seven days, verse 11 tells us, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. And for 40 days and 40 nights, rain falls upon the earth. We lived in Washington State for a number of years and 
If you've ever been to Washington before for any length of time, you, you know that uh, Washington, especially the west side of the state, gets a, a steady amount of rain. I, I think the estimates are it rains like 170 days a year in Washington. Typically, though, it's not a, it's not a hard driving downpour. This is a lot of gray, drizzly days. This isn't a drizzle in Genesis 7. This is a lot of rain. And notice the impact of all this rain. Verse 19, the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. All of the mountains, children, are covered with water. Water is so high that it's 22 feet, that's 15 cubits, 22 feet above the highest mountain. Now for a long time, skeptics have laughed at this. You can read literature, you can watch lectures, and, and for a long time, people have said, that's ridiculous. There's simply not enough water on earth for there to be this worldwide flood. I used to work with a guy who, who said that thing, the very thing he said that to me. He said, that's one of the reasons I reject the Bible and I reject Christianity is because this story about a worldwide flood is absolutely ridiculous. No way you could have a worldwide flood. I want you to notice something in verse 11. There's a little phrase in the middle of that verse. It says, all the fountains of the great deep. Several months ago, I, I told you all something, and I'm going I'm to say it to you again, that, that recently, scientists discovered something very interesting. Scientists discovered that there is a massive supply of water underneath the Earth's crust. And scientists have discovered that this supply of water is three times bigger than all of the water in all of the oceans. There's a massive supply of water deep inside the earth's crust. In other words, the fountains of the great deep, just as we are told here in Genesis chapter seven. My point is that the Bible speaks with 100% accuracy. What it says, you can trust. When God says he sent a worldwide flood, he sent a worldwide flood. And so God sends this massive flood, a, a flood that when you put chapter 8 and chapter 9 together, it, we realize it lasted for 371 days. It lasts about a year. And, and in this flood, God brings judgment upon these unbelieving people, this unbelieving world. Verse 21 says, all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. All of it. Dead. But God spared Noah and his family and all the animals that, on, that were on the ark, not because they were better than the others, but because God had graciously chosen to save them. Now, this is, a, this is one of these memorable stories. There, there's, it makes sense that this was the popular vote-getter when I asked you to submit ideas, suggestions about your favorite Bible story. Everybody knows this story. 
Some of you have even been to the um, Ark Encounter in, in Kentucky, and, and you've seen that, that it's a massive, massive Ark. But here's the thing. What should we learn from this story? What, what should you walk away with this morning? Not, not just the idea that, wow, that was a big ark. What should you leave here with? The ark is a picture. It's a picture that is meant to teach us three very important spiritual truths. All of them begin with the letter S. Number one, the ark is a picture of our Savior. It's a picture of Jesus. If you were here for our study of Revelation, you, you remember that over and over and over, we heard the judgment day is coming. I don't know if it will come in our lifetime. I don't know if it'll come a thousand years from now. I don't know. You don't know. No one knows. But it is coming. It is coming. And the Bible tells us that it will come like a thief in the night. Children, that means it will come when you, when you don't expect it. But it will come. Now it saddens me that a lot of people don't care about that. A lot of people in this world couldn't care less that a day of judgment is coming. There are even people in churches who don't care that a day of judgment is coming. What was the only way to be saved from this terrible flood? Children, it was to be inside the ark, right? That's the only way. That was the only way to escape this judgment. What is the only way to escape the judgment that, that one day will come upon this world? It is to be in Christ. It is to be in him. It is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It is to believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you will be saved. Saved from what? Save from the judgment. That is the only way. Children, do you know how many doors there were on the ark? There was one. One door. That was the only way to safety. There's only one way to be saved from the judgment that is coming. Despite what this world may tell you about many paths leading to heaven, there's only one way. And that is through faith in Jesus. Jesus himself says in John chapter 10, I am the door. I am the door to safety. If anyone enters through me, Jesus says, he will be saved. Acts chapter 4, Peter says these famous words, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Children and young people, and adults, there's only one way to escape this judgment, and that is through Jesus. He is the ultimate and final ark. He is the only one who can shelter you from the flood of God's wrath that is coming upon this world one day. Your family can't save you. Your church membership can't save you. Your baptism can't save you. Your friends can't save you. Your Bible reading program can't save you. Only Jesus can save you.
You must look to him. You must embrace him. Imagine, if you will, the absolute terror that struck the people in Noah's day when the waters started rising. They had, they had heard of God's coming judgment. They had heard that the ark was the only place of safety, but they laughed at Noah. They mocked Noah. What a fool this guy is. What a waste of time. What a waste of resources. They mocked him. But eventually Noah went into that ark and the door was shut. And the waters came and the waters rose and there were no second chances. Imagine how you'd feel at that point. Imagine the terror that would overcome you. Friend, don't let that be you. Don't let the day of judgment come upon you. Don't laugh at the message. Don't mock the message. Don't ignore the message until it's too late. Run to Christ and the Bible says you will be saved. The ark is a picture of our Savior. Secondly, the ark is a picture of our security. I just love the end of verse 16. I read it just a moment ago, but notice it again. And the Lord shut him in. The picture is that Noah and his family are safe. They are secure. God's going to preserve Noah and his family to the very end. And God has done this for all true believers. He has shut us in. He has secured us. I love the way the Bible describes it. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 1. He says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Christian, God has shut you in. Your salvation is secure. Jesus isn't going to, to lose his grip on you. He's not going to let you fall away from him. He's not going to allow you and let you be swallowed up in, in the judgment. He will keep you in his love. He will bring you to your heavenly inheritance. He has shut you in. Rest in that. Rejoice in that. The ark is a picture of our Savior. It's a picture of our security. Finally, it's a picture of our service. No one knew that a flood was coming. No one knew that God's judgment was coming. But he didn't, I don't believe, just stand around and build the ark and not say anything. Did you know that in 2 Peter chapter 2, Noah is called a preacher of righteousness? Noah was a preacher. While he was building the ark, 
He was warning people. He was calling people to repentance. He was calling people to to turn to the one true God. To avoid the judgment that was coming. Most experts believe that it took Noah probably 50 to 75 years to build the ark. He had no power tools. He had no computer program to help him with the design. This would have been a, a massive undertaking. But all during this time, he's building the ark. You can picture Noah preaching. A message of judgment upon the unrepentant. A message of grace and mercy to the believing. In terms of earthly success, it doesn't appear that Noah was very successful. We we don't read any conversion stories. He probably wouldn't have been asked to, to write a book about church growth or evangelism techniques. No one responded. But he was a faithful preacher. We too know that a flood is coming. It's coming. Again, we don't know when, but but we do know it's coming. This flood, this flood that is coming one day will, will make Noah's flood look like a puddle of water. It will be eternal condemnation upon those who do not turn to Jesus Christ. We can't stay silent. We can't keep our mouths shut. We can't be hyper-Calvinists and say, well, God will save who he's going to save. We are the instruments, aren't we? Children, you are his instruments at school this week. We are his instruments in this world to, to tell people there is a flood coming, there is a judgment coming, and Jesus is the only way to be saved. We have a calling. We can't stay silent. We must serve and love others by warning them. Now, like Noah, we may not see a whole lot of fruit to our labor, but that's not our job anyway. That's God's work. Our job is to be faithful. To be faithful in warning people and in telling them that when that judgment comes, They can be safe in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, aren't you thankful that you are safe? Aren't you thankful that God has shut you in? Aren't you thankful that because of God's grace to you and because of Jesus, you will never face this terrible flood of God's wrath? This is a wonderful story true story. It's a wonderful account and a wonderful reminder that we are safe only in Christ. Look to him. Believe in him. Live for him. Take seriously the calling that he's given all of us to tell others that Jesus Christ saves. If you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry, you can find us at www.goodnewsinadarkworld.com. Thank you for listening.